0: Agenda, a voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? We are back. Our first show of this new year of 2020. And you're like, no, I listen in Las Vegas and I've heard you on the radio yesterday and Tuesday. Well, you're right, because you can hear me on the radio in Las Vegas yesterday and Tuesday. But for those of us that listen on the podcast. Because, you know, yes, I definitely listen to all my own podcasts. Who doesn't? I don't. Uh, But for those that listen on the podcast, this is the first podcast, the first Frittle Show, the first of many for this new year of 2020. We did do a year in review yesterday. We talked about what's coming up this year, so we won't dive into that so much today. But welcome. I'm Crystal Heath. This is, as mentioned, The Frittle Show. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes. Just search The Frittle Show and we are happy to have you with us here today. We're broadcasting live from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Our address 650 West Lake Mead Boulevard if you want to send us some hate mail. Or preferably if you would like to visit us for church on a Sunday morning at 9.30 or 11.15. Or Sunday evening at 6 p.m. or Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Okay, so as promised, for those of you that are in Las Vegas and or tune in online at kvxl101.com and listen to my gibberish on other days besides Thursdays. You know that today's podcast is about Suleimani and what's happening in Iran, what went down there, what we can expect. Who was this guy? What are war powers? What is all this about? Break it down. Make it simple. That's what we are here to do. I am, <laughs> as any of the rest of you listening, a person with opinions. And on this program, I share my opinions, but I do try to temper them. Yes, believe it or not, my opinions on this program are tempered. At least usually. Sometimes sometimes they run away with me. You can usually tell by how much I am ranting or rambling. But as a general rule, what I like to try and do with this program is research both sides of an issue, uh, formulate an opinion after hearing both sides, and try to just present the facts as they, as they appear to us without too much uh, pontificating, if you will. So, that's what we're going to do today with this whole Iran situation. Soleimani, we're going to talk about it. It may not be politically correct, depending on which side of the aisle you're in. I will probably irritate you if you are a Republican. I'll probably irritate you if you're a Democrat. I'll probably irritate you if you're a Libertarian or Independent or whatever else. And I will also probably agree with you no matter which of those categories, you fall in on some things as well. So, I know, it's confusing. But you'll understand as we go through. Are you ready? Let's go, because there is a lot, lot, lot to cover with this guy. The single most powerful operative in the Middle East is how Soleimani was described by former CIA officer John McGuire in a New Yorker article. He, uh... Middle East analyst Jim Phillips from the Heritage Foundation in 2015 was interviewed by NBC News and said he's probably the most powerful figure that is generally unknown outside Iran and the Middle East. He's essentially Iran's viceroy for Iraq. Now, Soleimani <coughs> Excuse me. Soleimani was born in 1957. He spent basically his entire adulthood in Iran's Revolutionary Guard. He joined the Revolutionary Guard in 1979 following the revolution in Iran, rose to prominence in the 1980s by the mid-2000s. Is that how we say it? Like early 2010s years? The teen years of the 2000s? I don't know. Uh, He'd become one of the most important figures in Iraq. Now, he's not the top general Er, I'm sorry, in Iran. He's not the top general in Iran. He technically was the second general in Iran, but the top general in Iran had essentially adopted him as a son, and he was his main advisor, and so this guy was really serving, he was directing everything top general was doing, and he was also serving essentially as the top general himself. He's been described as second only to the Supreme Leader and no that's not a Star Wars reference that is in fact an Iranian government reference the Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei in power today Or I'm sorry I don't think I Amini's mean in power anymore I've been I've been using I I've researched oh, no I guess he isn't Amini today he's still is he still in power I guess he is we have you know nothing's happened to him yet <clears throat> So uh Soleimani he was named Major General of the Quds Force in Iran in 1998. Now the Quds Force of Iran, it has over 20,000 personnel, largely a militia. It has been designated by many countries across the globe as a terrorist organization and as a terrorist group by the United States since 2007. Alright, so, so, so Major General of the Quds Force has run it up until today we can't really compare it to anything necessarily. It would be sort of like if you were to combine the CIA and Special Forces, but if that organization, which would be very scary, the CIA and the Special Forces combined together, yeah, think about that. It'd be like, uh, like, like, I don't even know. I was trying to combine somebody with Jason Bourne, but then I couldn't think of anyone. Uh, Jack Ryan. Jason Bourne and Jack Ryan. Together both. Whew. But, It would be as if you were to combine them and their main purpose was to wreak havoc and fuel terror around the world. That would be essentially the equivalent of what the CUDS force, which this guy uh, was his main uh, responsibility, his main priority, was this organization. This is who this was. Mike Pompeo, our Secretary of State, referred to him as a as dangerous as Islamic State leader Abu al-Baghdadi, who was killed in a U.S. raid in northwestern Syria in late October, which of course begs the question of: We, uh, across the aisle, there was cheering when al-Baghdadi was killed. Why has this been such an issue? Well, it's because we don't know how Iran is going to respond, and so therefore we. And by we, I mean politicians are hesitant to issue their support or or not support. And we'll talk about that more uh, in a few in a few minutes. But uh, as head of the Cuds Force, Soleimani reported directly uh, to the Supreme Leader of Iran. The U.S. government, United Nations, the European Union all had sanctions against Soleimani for involvement in uh, either in Iran's nuclear program or in the Syrian civil war in support of the Syrian president Bashar al-Assad. U.S. Central Command documents that were declassified in 2015 revealed that Iraqi Shiite militants uh, under Soleimani's command, killed more than 500 U.S. service members in Iraq between 2005 and 2011. And U.S. intelligence has linked Soleimani to a 2011 assassination attempt. Uh, do you remember when that, that, there was that explosion at that cafe in Washington, D.C. in 2011? That was traced back to this guy and his Quds Force attempting to take out the Saudi ambassador to the United States. and you might be thinking okay wait if he he was in charge of training equipping orchestrating attacks on us forces in iraq and we can trace at least 500 service members deaths <coughs> excuse me not to mention thousands of us military injuries back to this guy why didn't bush or obama take him out in fact we have we have we we know for a fact that president bush with held orders uh to to take out uh who was it it was um there was we did a we did a a joint operation with the with israel's Mossad to take out um to take out this guy oh, i can't think of who it was right now a hezbollah figure um Oh good grief! My brain is not working. So anyway, uh, when Bush was president, we did we we did a joint operation with Mossad to take out a Hezbollah general, and we had uh, we had this guy Soleimani and this Hezbollah general were in the same place at the same time. And Mossad and I don't know if they were special forces guys or CIA guys, uh, our guys, Israel's guys. We were there. Soleimani was there. And all they were waiting for was the go to, uh, to bomb this place and, and get rid of this Hezbollah general. We could have taken out Soleimani at the same time. We know for a fact that the Bush administration withheld the order uh, to, to engage until after Soleimani was safely away. We know that President Obama specifically and purposefully did not go after this guy. So why then, now, all of a sudden, Trump decides to go after Soleimani? Well, a few reasons. um, let Let me touch on why perhaps the previous presidents did not choose to engage him. Even despite his known influence in having American military men and women killed and injured. And this is purely speculation because neither of them have spoken out on this, but... Suleimani was not only training and working with Shiite fighters and Iranians to fight against uh, and plant attacks against Americans in Iraq. He was also fighting ISIS. He was on an all-out campaign against ISIS. Now, that might seem like a conflict of interest when the U.S. is also there fighting ISIS, so why would you take out the guys that are taking out the same guys that you are Want to get rid of i i don't under- I have no idea that that makes no sense to me, but he was a major ally in the fight against ISIS while also helping to orchestrate attacks against u s interests in the region. It makes no sense. you can try to figure it out, but I'm telling you <laughs> you probably won't because there is a there is a completely different mindset. Well, I, I don't want to get into that, but y- you can you can try and figure it out if you want to. It hurts my brain too much. I can't put the pieces together, but maybe you can. Why are you killing the guys who are killing the guys that you say you want to be killed? I, I don't know. Uh, additionally, a Free Syrian Army commander told the Wall Street Journal in 2013 that Soleimani was running Syria and that uh, al-Assad... The president, quote unquote, of Syria was just his mayor. So so okay. Think think about this now. You have a guy who is in charge of a, a the equivalent of a CIA slash special forces terror inflicting organization whose sole purpose is to exist, to train, create, and sponsor terror. He's in charge. Not only is he in charge there. But he is second only to the Supreme Leader in Iran. Iran, in case you were wondering, does not have a great civil rights uh, record in, in the region or anywhere around the world. And thirdly, he is the guy that military personnel in the region say is running Syria. Also, not always our best friend. Oh, and did I mention that in 2007, the UN... Uh, banned the guy from international travel the UN because of his work with Iran's nuclear program but he still went to Moscow at least three times after his known second violation the US State Department confirmed that the travel sanctions remained in effect basically like yo people this guy is traveling around and we probably don't want him to do that He didn't have any formal education. He grew up. He was he was a military guy. He gained notoriety. He worked his way up through the ranks. A few years back, he began uh, taking to social media, and it was when his 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 social media platform took off in the region that he really became uh, a bit of a national hero. But there are conflicting reports about this too. There's reports. Um, and that obviously that Iran is pushing, that there is major mourning and grieving and all this happening because of his his death, and the whole country is, is in a state. But the opposite reporting is also happening, that Iranians are glad about this, that they are glad that he is gone because they do not like the Quds Force because this guy was a bad, bad dude. (sighs) He was 62 years old. Not only was he accused of essentially running Syria, but also of controlling proxy militias all across the Middle East, including in Iraq and Lebanon. He's been characterized as a murderer by U.S. officials on both sides of the aisle, everyone from Rudy Giuliani to Senator Elizabeth Warren. Yes, that Senator Elizabeth Warren. No one disagrees that this guy was a bad, bad dude. He participated in the massacre of the Kurdish people in 1980. Do you remember that? That was this guy. He collaborated in the Syrian genocide and chemical attacks that targeted Syria in recent years. Remember those? Remember the pictures? Remember the horror stories? Remember the videos? He was known as the child killer commander for his work and his orchestration of the massacring of Syrian children. He massacred, and his his forces massacred Iraqis. And he worked to spread the sectarian war in Iraq. He led the assassination of Iraqi scientists and fighter pilots, academics, and dignitaries. Anyone that opposed the Iranian regime's influence in Iraq was systematically, mercilessly murdered by this man and his troops. In Camp Ashraf, 52 dissidents of the Iranian regime massacred. At Camp Liberty repeated missile attacks on the same or on 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 other MEK dissidents when Iraqis would protest and they were killed do you remember these news reports it's, it's like everyone has forgotten all the, it's it's really this guy is unbelievable if you start researching him killing the protesters. We'll just, just kill the protesters. That'll take care of the problem. Do you remember Aleppo? Do you remember what happened in Aleppo? The mass executions? C- civilians not allowed to leave the area? The, the, the brutalization and massacring of women and children? Civilians? by 25,000 Iranian militia troops directly under this guy's control. The Syrian civil war where 400,000, more than 400,000 people died and more than 300,000 of those died in the Battle of Aleppo. And Aleppo, the things that were done there were done were masterminded by this man. Okay, so this guy was not a good guy. Yes, we could have taken him out before. Unfortunately, he was an ally in the fight against ISIS. So why would Trump go after him now? Well, I don't know, but maybe because the president has essentially told us that ISIS is on the run, ISIS is out of the way, so if we, if we truly believe that ISIS is not a major threat anymore, then we no longer need this guy. But beyond that, I, I, and I, I think that argument could have been made previously, I do think, however, that it's a weak argument because ISIS is not gone, But it, it, but that argument could be made. However, once you orchestrate and direct a mob of hundreds of Iranian-backed militants and, 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 and work it out to where they collectively and are organized in storming the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad. And we have a two-day face-off with American forces at the most heavily fortified U.S. diplomatic mission in the world. And these people spray-painting Soleimani as our leader on flags and buildings at this site. I think that, and based on what the president said, I, I, I think that's the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will. I think he was already, at least in, in the view of the president and many of our, uh, our, our commanders and generals on the ground, I think he had become expendable, if you will. He was no longer vital to our interests in the region. And as such, if you are no longer vital to our interests in the region, we are no longer going to tolerate you coming after us. That is over. In a statement on Thursday evening of last week, The Pentagon said the U.S. military has taken decisive defensive action to protect U.S. personnel abroad by killing Qasim Soleimani, the head of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps Quds Force, a U.S.-designated foreign terrorist organization. General Soleimani was actively developing plans to attack American diplomats and service members in Iraq and throughout the region. Outgoing U.S. Army Chief of Staff General Ray Oderno told Fox News in an exclusive exit interview in 2015, uh, quote, "Qasem Soleimani is the one who has been exporting malign activities throughout the Middle East for some time now. He's absolutely responsible for killing many Americans. In fact, I would say the last two years I was there, so from 2013 to 2015, think about who's president now. For the last two years I was there, the majority of our casualties came from his surrogates, not Sunni, not Al Qaeda. In fact, in the in the overall uh, number of troops that were lost in Iraq, it is estimated that this guy is directly responsible for 20% or more casualties uh, in the area, with the majority of casualties in the in the in the 2013 on years. Remember, over 500. Some estimates as high as over 600 American servicemen and women killed by this guy's forces. Department of Defense... Further stated, General Soleimani and his Quds Force were responsible for the deaths of hundreds of American and coalition service members and the wounding of thousands more. He had orchestrated attacks on coalition bases in Iraq over the last several months, including the attack on December 27th, culminating in the death and wounding of additional American and Iraqi personnel. General Soleimani also approved the attacks on the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad that took place this week. Soleimani apparently had visions of becoming, uh, of of setting up a a sovereign realm of his own, sort of, if you will. Uh, Realm would not be the right word. Uh, Caliphate. So I guess realm is kind of the right word. He envisioned. I reign, I reign. I reign, you reign, we all reign for ice cream, something like that. Uh, He imagined Iran and presumably he as the supreme leader of Iran, and then Iran uh, uh, having a caliphate throughout the Middle East and around the world. He was attempting to carve out a Shia crescent in Sunni territory throughout the battle with ISIS. So he wasn't just fighting ISIS because they were bad guys. He was fighting ISIS because he literally was trying to make a crescent in the land, uh, uh, and, and not just any particular any crescent, but a very particular crescent and a land path to run from Tehran through Baghdad to Damascus following down to Beirut, Lebanon. If you had an Iranian crescent of that nature you have Iran sitting on Israel's doorstep. It was this guy when Al-Assad was defeated in Syria in 2012, it was Soleimani who brought in the militia men from Lebanon, Iraq, Afghanistan, and Russia to turn the tide against the rebel forces and help Assad recapture the key cities in town. That was him. He has propped up, trained, managed, orchestrated Hezbollah attacks in Lebanon, He's even known to have ties to the Maduro regime in Venezuela. This guy gets around despite <laughs> despite the fact that he's not allowed to go anywhere. It's really quite ironic. Like, uh, you've had a travel ban for I don't know how long, and yet you know people, bad people, really bad people, all over the world, and... It's it's insane. If you wanna if you wanna learn if you just wanna really dive into this guy, you can just Google the Shadow Commander. There's a New York. The New Yorker has an article. New Yorker dot com has an article from 2013 uh, about this guy, and it's just it's it's wow. That's that's all I'm gonna say about that. So you can go check it out there, but. Regardless this guy has been at the forefront of Iranian terror for decades. And Iran Iran has a a vast history of attacking Americans, you know, in in uh in 1979 you have the group of Iranian students backed by uh backed by backed uh by Iran's supreme leader and revolutionary leader that take control of the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. Remember this? They held 52 U.S. diplomats and citizen hostages for 444 days. 1979 to 1981. Remember that? I wasn't alive, but I remember the stories. We had suicide bombings. Do you remember the suicide bombing in Beirut at the U.S. Embassy? That killed 17 Americans. Remember the October bombing in 1983 of the same year of the U.S. Marine Barracks in Beirut that killed 241 Americans? That was Iran. The mine attack in the Persian Gulf in 1988? The one that injured 10 sailors and blew a 15 foot hole in the USS Samuel B. Roberts? That was Iran. Do you remember the truck bombing? In Saudi Arabia, where Hezbollah terrorists attacked U.S. military forces housed in the Kobar ta- Towers in Saudi Arabia in 1996. 19 Americans killed, 372 wounded. Hezbollah. Under the orchestration of this guy. Or at the very least, mm, the funding, encouragement, They helped the 9-11 hijackers, Iran did. They allowed them to pass through Iranian territory on their way to Afghanistan for their training. In April 2018, a United States judge ordered Iran to pay $6 billion to the families of 9-11 victims for their support of those hijackers. They continue to unjustly detain Americans. Former FBI agent Bob Levinson has not been heard from since he was arrested in Iran in 2007. We've had members of the Quds Force, which Soleimani directly was in charge of, in Nigeria, that were planning bombings targeting American and other Western-affiliated destinations in the country in 2012 and 2013. Do you remember not too long ago, January 2016, when 10 U.S. sailors were detained uh, and two Navy vessels were seized in international waters? That was Iran. In June of 2017, two Hezbollah operatives were arrested for conducting surveillance of U.S. military and law enforcement facilities and airports in New York City in preparation for terrorist attacks against the United States. Again, Hezbollah funded by Iran. In August of of 2018, two Iranian agents arrested for surveilling potential terrorist targets in the United States, including Israeli and Jewish uh, houses of worship and places of gathering in Chicago. Similar to what we saw just last week, in 2018, Iranian-backed terrorists in Iraq launched attacks against the U.S. Embassy in Baghdad and the U.S. Consulate in Basra. The funding and training for both those assaults was confirmed to have come directly from Iran as the most recent uh, attack on the embassy was known to have come as a result of Soleimani's direct intervention. So that's who Soleimani is. That's Iran's vast history with terrorism. So we have we have this purposeful dedicated strike. In fact, you know what, I'm just gonna read the president's remarks and then we'll and then we'll talk about this. Uh the president made remarks on January the third, so last Friday, from Mar-a-Lago in Florida. He said, as president, my highest and most solemn duty is the defense of our nation and its citizens. Last night, at my direction, the United States military successfully executed a flawless precision strike that killed the number one terrorist anywhere in the world, Qasem Soleimani. Soleimani was plotting imminent and sinister attacks on American diplomats and military personnel, but we caught him in the act and terminated him. Under my leadership, America's policy is um, is this, to terrorists who harm or intend to harm any American, we will find you. We will eliminate you. We will always protect our diplomats, service members, all Americans, and our allies. For years, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps and its ruthless Quds Force, under Soleimani's leadership, has targeted, injured, and murdered hundreds of American civilians and servicemen. The recent attacks on U.S. targets in Iraq, including rocket strikes that killed an American and injured four American servicemen very badly, as well as a violent assault on our embassy in Baghdad, were carried out at the direction of Soleimani. Suleimani made the death of innocent people his sick passion, contributing to terrorist plots as far away as New Delhi and London. Today we remember and honor the victims of Suleimani's many atrocities, and we take comfort in knowing that his reign of terror is over. Suleimani has been perpetrating acts of terror to destabilize the Middle East for the last 20 years. What the United States did yesterday should have been done long ago. A lot of lives would have been saved. Just recently, Soleimani led the brutal repression of protesters in Iran, where more than a thousand innocent civilians were tortured and killed by their own government. We took action last night to stop a war. We did not take action to start a war. I have deep respect for the Iranian people. They are a remarkable people with an incredible heritage and unlimited potential. We do not seek regime change. However, the Iranian regime's aggression in the region, including the use of proxy fighters to destabilize its neighbors, must end, and it must end now. The future belongs to the people of Iran, those who seek peaceful coexistence and cooperation, not the terrorist warlords who plunder their nation to finance bloodshed abroad. The United States has the best military by far anywhere in the world. We have best intelligence in the world. If Americans anywhere are threatened, we have all of those targets already fully identified, and I am ready and prepared to take whatever action is necessary, and that in particular refers to Iran." Under my leadership, we have destroyed the ISIS territorial caliphate, and recently American special operations forces killed a terrorist leader known as al-Baghdadi. The world is a safer place without these monsters. America will always pursue the interests of good people, great people, great souls, while seeking peace, harmony, and friendship with all of the nations of the world. So, the president outlined why he did this. He said, look, we took out the number one terrorist in the world. He was plotting imminent and sinister attacks on American diplomats and military personnel. He was responsible for the recent death of an American, as well as the wounding of four others, the attack on our embassy in Baghdad. And the president parsed no words by saying that this guy made the death of innocent people his sick passion. All right, so up until this point pretty much everyone is okay with this. Everyone agrees this guy was a bad, bad dude. Where the political conflict is coming right now is whether or not the president had the power to authorize this. If this was in fact an act of war and there are varying opinions on this. I'm just going to go off of what I I'm not a legal scholar by any means. I am not a lawyer. I simply study what our founders say, read what they wrote, and go from there. So, let's discuss, shall we? The power to declare war. According to Article 1, Section 8, Clause 1 of the United States Constitution, the Congress has power to, quote, provide for the common defense and general warfare welfare of the United States. In Article 1, Section 8, Clauses 11 through 16, we find that the Congress shall have power to declare war, grant letters of marque and reprisal, and make rules conquering captures on land and water, to raise and support armies, but no appropriation of money to that use shall be for a longer term than two years, to provide and maintain a navy, to make rules for the government and regulation of the land and naval forces, to provide for calling forth the militia to execute the laws of the Union, suppress insurrections, and repel invasions, to provide for organizing, arming, and disciplining the militia, and for governing such part of them as may be employed in the service of the United States, reserving to the states, respectively, the appointment of the officers and the authority of training the militia according to the discipline prescribed by Congress. The framers of the Constitution created three equal branches of government because they did not want any branch to have more power than another. They did not want the president to have the authority to go to war on his own without approval. Uh, And they essentially reasoned that if America was going to be a republic and survive as a republic, then declarations of war should be made only after careful consideration by the people's representatives. Abraham Lincoln wrote in 1848 during America's War with Mexico when he was a first-term congressman. He said, The provision of the Constitution giving the war-making powers to Congress was dictated, as I understand it, by the following reasons. Kings had always been involving and impoverishing impoverishing their people in wars, pretending generally, if not always, that the good of the people was the object. This, our Constitutional Convention, understood to be the most oppressive of all kingly oppressions, and they resolved to so frame the Constitution that no one man should hold the power of bringing this oppression upon us. Hmm. Interesting. So basically... According to Abraham Lincoln, the whole purpose of the division of, 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 of giving Congress the power to declare war was because kings would dictate war, impoverish their people, say it was for their good, regardless of whether it was or not, and it was viewed as a, as a major oppression of freedom that kings would just force their people into war after war after war at their own discretion. And so our founder said, you know what, if we are going to enter into a war, then it needs to be something that we all agree is for the good of the country and not just something that the one man would think was for the good of the country. That brings us to the War Powers Act. So the War Powers Act... Uh, okay, so let me back up. In the Constitution, the power to make war is shared by the executive and the legislative branches. The judicial branch has nothing to do with this. The president is charged with directing the armed forces. That's his job when it comes to the making of war. Congress has the power to declare war and to raise and support armies. So they they do the funding um, and the declaring. Those provisions of the Constitution traditionally were interpreted to mean that Congress had to approve American involvement in overseas wars. By the 1970s, though, you had a lot of lawmakers that were not happy with the fact that various presidents had deployed armed forces abroad without first consulting Congress. President Truman committed U.S. troops to the Korean War as part of a United Nations police action without consulting Congress. Presidents Kennedy, Johnson, and Nixon uh, had, had done the same with the Vietnam uh, War. So you had legislative efforts in the 70s to rein in the presidential war powers... Uh, during the Nixon administration, so uh, y- y- I don't know how much history I want to get into right now, but you had you have Vietnam going on. News comes out that Nixon has been conducting secret bombing campaigns in Cambodia. The House and Senate essentially are like, enough of this. we don't we we presidents are abusing this power. Truman did it to us in Korea. Kennedy Johnson and Nixon have all done it to us with Vietnam. We are not being given the place that we deserve, that our founders intended us to have. And so the House and the Senate created the War Powers Act as a means of of asserting their power again, saying, hey, we're here. You're not supposed to do this without us. President Nixon didn't like this. He vetoes the law, saying it was unconstitutional and dangerous and that he's commander-in-chief and so he should be in charge. Uh, he he sent a message accompanying his veto saying that the resolution would attempt to take away, by a mere legislative act, authorities which the president has properly exercised, exercised under the Constitution for almost 200 years. Congress overrode N- Nixon's veto. That said, since the 1970s, every sitting president has... <laughs> has either sidestepped some of the law's provisions one way or another, or labeled it unconstitutional. One of the first major challenges to the War Powers Act was in 1981, when President Ronald Reagan deployed military personnel to El Salvador without consulting or submitting a report to Congress. In 1999, President Bill Clinton uh, continued a bombing campaign in Kosovo beyond the 60-day limit that had been approved by Congress. In 2011, President Barack Obama initiated a military action in Libya without congressional authorization. So. Uh from time to time, Congress objects to the executive branches what what they view as a disregard for the War Powers Act but uh this has never it's never been resolved uh, in two thousand the Supreme Court refused to hear a case on whether the law had been violated during military operations in yugoslavia so the question becomes is the War Powers Act even uh effective, but most would agree that presidents traditionally avoid citing certain provisions of the resolution whenever they submit reports to Congress, and uh, subsequently the 60-day time limits of the law are rarely triggered. It's never been used to bring an end to a foreign military operation, and because of its contentious history, there have been calls for the resolution to be repealed or amended. Uh, In 1995, it almost happened, the measure was narrowly defeated in the House by a vote of 217 to 204. So huh. what what does all that mean? If constitutionally only Congress can declare war and the president must notify Congress within 48 hours of an uh, of an armed conflict and has to get out of it within 60 days if Congress doesn't approve it, those that's primarily what the War Powers Act of 1973 set forth. What's going on here? A lot. So <laughs> You also have the aspect of terrorism, which I don't even know if I have time to... Yeah, I don't have to get into that today. But y- y- then you can... you can. There were... Okay, so... Uh, boy. Um, my brain is just running in circles with the things that I want to say in the next five minutes as we wrap this up here somehow. Okay. So. Herein is the dilemma. When you have other candidates talking heads, media personalities going on television and saying that Trump doing this was a violation of the War Powers Act. Well, that really depends on how you translate the War Powers Act. Because according to the War Powers Act, there's basically basically two elements of this. The president must notify Congress within 48 hours of an armed conflict, has to get out of it within 60 days if Congress doesn't approve it. I don't see, I, I, I just don't see, I don't see the violation of the War Powers Act in a targeted strike such as this one. And those who say this is a violation are saying, we know that Iran is going to retaliate. We know that there's going to be retaliation for this. And so there is going to then have to be some sort of war happening which then the president can just turn around and say okay if iran does something then uh you guys can declare war well now congress is in a spot because they don't necessarily want to declare war especially in an election year sorry it's not it's not humorous but when i i just sometimes when i listen to certain politicians talk it, it just my mind goes berserk i so i'm like y- you, you you yeah this is all about you and whether or not you're going to get re-elected. This isn't actually about anything else. But anyway, uh, to define whether or not the War Act has been violated, we have to first define war. Is it launching uh, missiles? Is it taking out a senior government officials? We don't really know. Because Congress has been reluctant to jump in and assert its authority to declare war ever since the War Powers Act was passed because there's just a ridiculously high political risk. And so that's why uh, President George W. Bush escaped congressional scrutiny for for military action largely in Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, and and now we have what's going on in Iran. We had uh, what happened with with President Obama. We had, I mentioned the the conflict with with President Clinton. We had Harry Truman. You have all of this going on, and the War Powers Act is not necessarily affecting any of this. And then we had the president uh, addressing the nation yesterday morning, basically what we we thought was going to happen there, you know, saying that essentially, hey, you guys better knock it off or you're in big trouble and your retaliation was not really retaliation because we are fine and that did not hurt us. And so, you know, I don't, I, I mentioned earlier in the program, will Iran retaliate? And I know some of you are like, well, they already did. They fired rockets at us at our base in Baghdad. And I'm going, I just, I don't see that as Iranian level of retaliation. It just doesn't fit the narrative, uh, from Iran. It's just not what it's, it's, it doesn't match their modus operandi, shall we say. But, uh, Anyway, so Iran's supreme leader said that the missile strike was a slap in the face to Americans, but Iran's real revenge will be forcing the U.S. to pull out of the region altogether. So what does that mean? Does that mean more missile strikes? Does that mean ground troops? What that means, we don't know. Again, the president basically saying, you better not. Um, but not... I. I I, that wasn't the, I didn't want to make that the focus of this program, though I wanted to talk more about why we did this in war powers because that was where when people ask me specific questions about specific things, that's what I tend to base the show on okay This is what people are confused about, so let's talk about these things. I don't think anybody's confused about the president's address uh yesterday, but the foreign minister in Iran said that Iran is not seeking an escalation of war but will defend themselves against any uh aggression um but what do I mean by Iran? I don't view this as retaliation. Here's why. Uh, missiles flying around in the Middle East are something that is pretty common, unfortunately. And it's not something that we handle. Which, obviously, we did. We suffered nothing at this. The problem is, Iran has a history of resting on their laurels, if you will, until they're ready to strike and hurt. Okay? In 2012, assassins killed an Iranian nuclear chemist. There's probably Israeli assassins. Iran promised revenge. That revenge wasn't a couple rockets launched at Israel. They do that all the time. Okay, well, maybe not all the time. But you know what I'm saying. Hezbollah, Iran, all the ties. We already talked about that. It wasn't until a month later, Israeli diplomats were targeted with bombs in Georgia, India, and Thailand. And Iran said that that, those bombings, were in retaliation for the killing of the chemist. In 1992, the IDF killed the Secretary General of Hezbollah. How did Iran retaliate? Not by launching a couple rockets, no. A truck bomb driven into the Israeli embassy in Buenos Aires that killed 29 people. And then, just because they didn't feel like that was quite enough, two years later, uh, another uh, attack at, the Jew- at a Jewish community center that killed or 85 people. Because Iran, th- th- this is how they operate. Their revenge isn't necessarily always we have slapped you in the face and we're telling the world that we slapped you in the face and we don't care if we're lying about how many people we killed. This is our revenge. More often than not, Iran's revenge comes later and is very calculated and is not always something that they take public credit for. It's where you don't expect it to happen when you are unprepared and they, they don't have a timeline. so i don't i don't see this as retaliation and the fact that iran had these missiles and launched them at us makes me go well, uh, I don't have time to get into all this today, but you, you can, there's some different things going on. And yes, there are some conspiracy theory level things and there's some things from the president's speech and, and different pieces of the puzzle we can put together. But it seems as though if Iran really wanted to, to kill U.S. servicemen in the region, they probably could have done so without having to lie about it. Which begs the question, if they could have, why didn't they? Why this just simple show of... just a show? Is this just all for show? Is this to throw us off the trail? I don't know. I just don't believe that this is actual retaliation from Iran. Is it to save face? Maybe for the time being it's to save face but I don't count it as retaliation because it's it we were we were just fine basically meanwhile the supreme leader addressing his people and telling them that this is not the end and all Americans will be removed from the region and the Iranian people chanting death to America and death to Israel in response you know because America has done so little for Iran in the past oh wait just in 2019 or, I'm sorry, or I think the last fiscal year, let me see what we have here. Uh, in So, the last fiscal year we have a report for. You can go to USAID and see how much money that we send to foreign countries. In 2018, we spent nearly a million dollars in Iran. Did, did you get that? We sent nearly one million dollars to Iran primarily to their to a national endowment for democracy grant to an NGO so we're sending money to Iran we're helping the people of Iran but yeah death to America the people that send us a million dollars that's that's good and I understand that a million dollars isn't a huge amount in the grand scheme of things, but then why don't we just keep our million dollars if they want us dead i don't I don't get that Ted Cruz made a great point. Uh, he was on Hannity on Fox News earlier this week. I think it was on Tuesday night. It wasn't last night. Yeah, so I think it would have been Tuesday night. And, uh, and said, if you look at Iran policy, I think you've seen a dramatic shift. Under Barack Obama, the policy was appeasement. The policy under the disastrous Iranian nuclear deal under Obama was to give over $100 billion to Iran. We literally flew $1.7 billion in cash in unmarked bills on pallets in the dead of night into Iran. In a very real sense, the missiles that we saw fired on U.S. servicemen and women tonight were paid for by the billions the Obama administration flooded the Ayatollah with, and if history teaches anything, it's don't give billions of dollars to people who hate you and want to kill you. It's a really good point. While Iranians are chanting death to America, which, by the way, this is not a new chant. It was going on all during the Obama administration, and yet Ted Cruz is exactly right. We sent them billions of dollars even as up to last year we still sent them a million dollars we should not be sending these people money we should not be funding them to kill us it's just not it's not good now obviously one million is significantly less i would say than a hundred billion dollars like we've made some improvements from obama to trump in that regard not gonna lie But the fact of the matter is that the president is right here. Uh, in his address yesterday, our great American forces are prepared for anything, and Iran appears to be standing down. So that's, that's where we're at right now. The president also said that Iran will never have a nuclear weapon as long as he is president, which I fully believe. And, um, yeah, so that's my take on everything from who was Soleimani, what are war powers, did the president violate the War Powers Act, was this a good idea that we took this guy out, uh per, the the response was it retaliation i just i don't see it as retaliation could there be more coming if we listen to iran's supreme leader i would not be surprised but as of right now like the president said it seems that this is all they're going to do for the time being something in the future maybe i wouldn't be surprised in fact i would probably be more surprised if there wasn't than if there is but that's where we stand and you know i I just think that it's probably a a good thing when we remove someone who has been slaughtering innocent people left and right in his own country and is responsible for the death of over 500, possibly over 600 uh, American servicemen and women. So... That is my take on all the things. Hopefully you have a better understanding now of what all has been going on with this situation. We appreciate you taking the time to tune in and listen. You can find this show on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for The Frittle Show. You can listen to this episode, past episodes. You can go as far back as you want or not at all. (laughs) Whichever uh, whichever you prefer. So uh, share it with your friends. Let us know what you think. If you have thoughts... Questions, ideas for future topics, you can send those to me on Facebook or Twitter. I am there at The Friddle. Thanks so much for listening today. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your Thursday, and we will see you back here tomorrow. And by here, I mean for those of you in Las Vegas on 101.1 FM, obviously. But for those of you that don't live in Las Vegas, and maybe you're listening to the podcast or you're listening... Uh, through the live stream on KVXL101.com. You can use that live stream, KVXL101.com, and you can listen to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. I'm here every Tuesday through Friday from 7 to 8 a.m. We are live, and then there's a rebroadcast from 7 to 8 uh, p.m. Those would be Pacific time. So for those of you that can't do math, that's 10 o'clock on the East Coast, uh, 10 to 11. You can tune in. You can listen. You can share your thoughts with us live on Twitter during the program and on Fridays, which is tomorrow, we usually give things away and we don't talk about politics. We only talk about fun things, crazy things, things you may have missed, glossed over, or just not heard because the mainstream media doesn't talk about Uh, good news, fun things, stuff like that on Friday. So if you want to be part of that tomorrow, we'll be back. See you then. For those of you that are here in Las Vegas, hope you'll join us on Sunday at 9.30 or 11.15. Sunday morning, our address here at Liberty Baptist Church is 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard, or you can join us Sunday evening, 6 p.m. Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock, or you can always visit our church uh, website to live stream our services at experienceliberty.com. We'll see you tomorrow.